The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread out their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of the Lord. Thanks to all of you for your contribution to our worshiping life. Um, my name is Troy. I'm happy to be one of the pastors here. Um, how many of you have gone to at least one of your high school graduation reunions? You saw this transition coming probably, right? Yeah. Um, when you think about that, what emotions do you associate with those high school graduation reunions? Were they everything that you just hoped that they would be? Some of you have already given it away, yeah. Were they underwhelming? Awkward? Are they the kinds of things that you wish happened every year? <laughs> yeah. I've only been to one of my high school uh, graduation reunions. It was our 15th year. It was held in a small town all-purpose room that was connected to the neighborhood tavern in north central Indiana where I went to high school. Yeah. Thank you. You obviously aren't from there. My graduating class was around 60 people, so the idea of 25 or so folks showing up was considered a really big success. And uh, I had missed my 10-year reunion, so I hadn't seen any of these people in a minute. And uh, keep in mind, so social media platforms were really, really early and really, really young. I know that I had a MySpace at that point, and I know I was sharing all of my early 30s wisdom and thoughts about music on a blogger account. Um, but people weren't stalking pictures of your old classmates at that point. People weren't keeping up on your job and relationship statuses at that point. Um, when you were out of sight, you were truly out of mind. And so I had this vision of what it would be like when I showed up to my high school reunion 15 years later. And I'll admit, it was one of those like 80s or 90s movie scenes. Like the ugly duckling is finally revealed to be really cool and really attractive. It was one of those kinds of climaxes. I had worked out in my head these scenes of all of the cool kids kicking themselves that they didn't hang out with me back in the late 80s. 
And on this one night, they're going to make up for it. So picture me. Walking into the community center, Denver, Indiana. A little late because I want my entrance to be noticed. Right? And I rock up to the registration table and I smile at one of my classmates and I say, hey, how's it going? And she looks up at me and she says, oh, I'm so sorry. This is a room that's reserved tonight for a private party. This is for the graduating class of 1992 from North Miami High School and only their significant others. I'm so sorry. She had no idea who I was. Didn't recognize me. It took a couple minutes to convince her that I was someone that was called Troy Hatfield. It didn't help that I forgot to register and say that I was coming. But that's a detail that I don't think is important. I eventually got let in. My impact was nothing. Very undramatic. Not even a splash. Barely noticed. Completely unrecognized. This Sunday on the church calendar we turn our attention to Jesus' entrance into the city of Jerusalem. Um, We just heard one of the tellings of the story. Every single year when we come to this episode, I can't help but wonder. I can't help but wonder if this is how Jesus wanted it to go down. I can't help but wonder, is this the way that Jesus imagined or hoped that his coming into the city would actually be? There's so many things going on in this scene. We have four slightly different versions of the story, pretty normal in oral storytelling for there to be slight differences. All four of the Gospels tell a version of the story. Mark is the earliest of our Gospels. This is where the other Gospels get their source material from. Mark and Matthew, which is the one we're going to concentrate on today, they're really alike. Um, Except for one, one small detail, Matthew is the only one of the storytellers that says that the disciples went and got Jesus a donkey and a colt. All the other storytellers say that they just went and got one animal. Matthew has two animals. That's a totally different sermon we're not going to get into today. That's just for your grins and giggles. And that's the kind of stuff you like to talk about at parties, I bet. The Gospel of Luke... Luke gives a lot of detail about how the religious leaders reacted to Jesus coming into the city. And then John's version is kind of small, but John gives us this such relatable, I think such moving detail. John says this, the disciples did not understand all of this. Thank God for phrases like this being in the Bible. Isn't it good news to know that the people who walked and talked with Jesus, the people who were the closest to him relationally and physically, that even they had no idea what was happening? 
that even these people were clueless about who Jesus was and about what he was doing. That is good news for us. We can't possibly understand it all. We can't possibly understand even this scene in all of its complexity. But I want today to take a glimpse at it with hopefully some fresh eyes, with a fresh heart, and to ask why does this still matter to us in the year 2023? There are two dominant emotions at play when we come to Palm Sunday. The first, we've already experienced a little bit of that, and it's the emotion of joy. Joy is one of the emotions that's proudly on display on Palm Sunday. It's a, it's, joy is emphasized. Joy is punctuated by these palms and by images of people walking along the road, shouting out together as they move into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the people, as they're walking along, they're announcing, Jesus is the one we have been waiting for. It's an upbeat declaration of allegiance. Jesus is the one. And this emotion, joy, this is such an appropriate and necessary emotion for us to join and to express. Here at Marsa, we have uh, six core values. We call them our directions. And these are ways that we want to orient ourselves. These are movements that we want to take to, to, to round out a holistic, healthy spiritual life. And uh, one of these directions is upward. And this direction, it captures for us this desire that we would be people who celebrate. It's a direction that captures our desire to pursue lives of hope and gratitude and worship. We believe that joy should be an intentional and regular part of our lives, both individually and as a worshiping body. Our other text for today is Psalm 118. We're not going to dig into it deeply, but it's a wonderful psalm that helps to echo a lot of this upward spirit, a lot of the spirit of joy. Um, in the Psalm 118, the first verse and the last verse, verse 21 and verse 29, are exactly the same. They are words which frame out all of Psalm 118, and they say this, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. It's a way of framing not just these batches of verses, but it's a way of framing the entire biblical story. We are thankful and joyful people because God is good and because God's love is faithful. It's an emphasis brought about by repetition. And then Psalm 118 goes on to give further evidence for why it is that we should be people of joy. Because God answers us in our distress. Because God reverses fortunes, taking what was once rejected and making it valuable. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone that we just sung about. God shines light on his people, and God leads us 
through gates of righteousness, that just as Jesus entered through a gate as he came into the city, so we get to be led into encounters with this God who is good and faithful. And so the spirit of joy, this is an appropriate emotion and spirit on Palm Sunday. And yet there's another emotion that sits right alongside of this. It's an emotion that sometimes can be overshadowed by our waving palms. Psalm 118 also gives a little bit of a glimpse of that. Um, uh, Okay, so in Matthew, when the people shout out, Hosanna, as we this morning sang Hosanna, it absolutely becomes an expression of praise. But I want to say this. Hosanna is not the Hebrew equivalent of hooray. Hosanna isn't hooray. In fact, when the people are shouting those things on the road into Jerusalem, what they're doing is they're shouting bits of Psalm 118. Verses 25 and verse 26, they say this in Psalm 118, Lord, save us. Lord, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what the people are shouting. They're shouting the 118th Psalm. And that expression, save us, that's what Hosanna means. Hosanna means save us, not hooray. And so there's a different emotion that's associated with the phrase Hosanna. It's perfectly appropriate for it to be a declaration of praise, but there's this like sidecar emotion that comes along with it. It's more sober. It's a prayer of dependence. It's a prayer of humility. Not only are the people announcing their allegiance to Jesus, they're also admitting that they are powerless to save themselves. Hooray always goes away. And it's going to do that in the life of Jesus too. In just a couple of days, that shout is going to turn into crucify him. Hooray always goes away. And the objects of our hoorays, they're constantly changing. But Hosanna, save us, that never goes away. That's always appropriate. And it's always and only ever directed to God. So this, this other emotion that's associated with Hosanna, that's, that's also captured in our core values, in our directions. We have a direction that we call, we can, we call inward. And this is our pursuit of wholeness, to be whole, unified, holistic people. And it's marked by this conviction, that we embrace the salvation that Jesus offers. There it is, the save us, the, the salvation that Jesus offers. It's the only hope, the only hope for the healing of our relationships with God, each other, ourselves, and creation. We take seriously the humble posture that accompanies crying out, Hosanna, save us. But not as a replacement of joy. Rather, it's joy's 
companion. It's a companion of joy. One of the things that Palm Sunday confirms for us is that life is not simply praise or lament. That a faithful following after Jesus, that a faithful pursuit of God will always involve both. It will always be both. And I want to spend the rest of my time here focusing on this word, Hosanna. And I hope that I can crack open a little bit for us why this request, God save us, why does this still matter? And what I primarily want to stress is that we ask God to save us. That we don't ask God to save the church in general. We don't ask God to save the capital C church. We don't ask God to save Christianity at large. That we ask God to save us. That we ask God, God save Mars Hill Bible Church in particular. I think sometimes we can talk and we can pray in a kind of generic, universal way that ends up distracting us or that ends up enabling us from dealing with what is specific and particular. And one of the temptations, I think, of saying, save us, is that we would become universalized in that expression and not particular. Crying out Hosanna, it involves taking an up-close look at us, not simply asking that God would save in general. How does Mars Hill Bible Church need to be saved? And I'm not posing this as a rhetorical question. I'm putting it before us in the hopes that every single one of us would consider it. That every single one of us would pay attention to how the Holy Spirit might speak and reveal. How does Mars Hill Bible Church need to be saved? I sense that we need to continue to ask God to save us from the long-lasting effects of arrogance in any lingering spirit of exceptionalism. That God would save us from the proud belief that people will be here no matter what. 
that people would just keep showing up. And it didn't matter what we did, and it didn't matter what we didn't do. That God would save us from any lingering effects of a kind of proud belief that we're too special or too influential or too unique in West Michigan to shrink or to have to have hard conversations about structure and money. I sense that we need to continue to ask God to save us from a lack of courage. We'd ask God to save us from the fears that stop us from making the hard decisions that will centralize the love of our neighbor. But God will save us from the fears that keep us from confronting the ways that many people in West Michigan are treated as less worthy. That many people in our own neighborhoods are treated with less dignity. That God would save us from choosing simply what's familiar and what is comfortable rather than seeking on behalf of and seeking alongside of those who are systemically burdened, systemically targeted, systemically disenfranchised. I sense that we need to ask God to save us from cynicism and hopelessness. As we continue to live into these new seasons as a church, I sense that we need to pray that God would save us from overly idolizing the past. That God would save us from the belief that Mars Hill's best days are all behind us. That God would save us from trying to preserve what has been to the neglect of what could be. I sense that, that we need to ask that God would save us from contributing to an already negatively charged, cynical culture. That God would save us from piling on more complaints and more doomsday prophecies about faith and church in general. I sense that we need to be saved from self-reliance. I sense that we need to be saved from whatever this West Michigan impulse and struggle that we have to admit that we are needy and that we need help, and that we struggle. I'm well aware of two things, as I've just said that. You didn't come here prepared for this. <laughs> and second, I'm well aware that I'm barely scratching the surface, and that I'm only highlighting a couple of things. I trust that every single one of you could add your voice to this confession. And just so you know, we want to be making space for that very thing to happen. At every quarterly connect, Ashley and I want to provide space for you, for our community, to voice your hosannas. That at every quarterly connect, we're going to be prioritizing time for the people in our church to say, 
I think we need to repent of this. I think we need to confess this. I think we need to be saved from this. And for you to be able to say, I think this is stirring in our church. I think we need to pay attention to this. For you to be able to say, this is what I find motivating and moving and empowering. These are the kinds of things we want to chase down. We want to prioritize space where Ashley and I don't just talk at you, but that we discover together. Our next quarterly connect is in a couple weeks. Wednesday night, October, uh, October. <laughs> Love the fall. April 14th. <laughs> oh, give me a break. <laughs> just come. Whenever it is, just come. But seriously, come and uh, lend your voice to this never-ending, always-appropriate Hosanna. I'm going to give one last observation. Um, All of these people who followed before and after Jesus as he's coming into the city, they not only cried out Hosanna, but you notice that they also laid things down. They laid down cloaks and they laid down branches on the road. I think one of the ways that we are saved, one of the ways that we are saved is when we voluntarily lay things down. I see our cloaks. I see our cloaks as like the, our, our personal treasures, our personal protections, our, own, uh, our personal sources of safety. The, the, the ideas or the positions that we've come to, the things we have earned, the ideas and positions that we've earned, that we've arrived at through diligent study and research and conversation and education, by attending rallies and meetings by the times that we've spent advocating, the times that we've spent investing our energies and our, our monies. It's the stuff that we hold on to. It's the stuff, the stuff that makes us feel secure, the stuff that we've worked for, the things that matter to us, the things that we prize. And then I think about our branches as those things that are external to us. They're the systems and the structures that provide us with a comfortable shelter a comfortable covering, the things that provide us with safety and protection, the things that give us confidence, a sense of stability, a sense of reliability, a sense of shared conviction, a sense of shared conscience. They're the things that we rely on outside of ourselves to be strong, to be stable, to confirm what we hold dear, to confirm that what we believe actually matters. And I wonder... Church, I wonder if we are willing for the sake of us, if we are willing to submit all of that, cloaks and branches, the personal and the structural, all laid down in allegiance to the one who comes in the name of the Lord, asking that godly salvation will be realized among us, no matter what the consequences are of laying those things down. Because remember, these people laid their cloaks and their branches on the road 
where they would surely be trampled all over, where they would surely be crushed underneath animals and crowds of people. Are we willing to lay all of these things down in the spirit of Philippians 2, where we're charged to value others above ourselves, where we're charged to not look to our own interests, but every single person to the interest of others, because ultimately we trust in and we rely in the goodness of God more than we treasure the social issues that we hold dear. That we trust in the goodness of God more than our personal freedoms. That we trust in the goodness of God more than our political party allegiances. That we trust in the goodness of God more than our social media followings or influence. That we trust in the goodness of God more than your standing in the community or in your neighborhood or your family systems. Are we willing to lay all of it down to both cry out, Lord, save us, and lay everything down that gets in the way of our being made one and gets in the way of our being united in Jesus. Because let's not forget that Jesus laid everything down for us. Everything. Ephesians 5 reminds us that Jesus gave himself up for the church in order that the church would be made holy and pure. Philippians 2 reminds us that Jesus laid everything down, that Jesus became nothing. Jesus became a servant. Jesus became obedient to death. This Palm Sunday, it turns our attention for this next week to this sacrificial laying down of Jesus. This Jesus, Jesus who we are called to imitate. Jesus who we are called to place our trust. Jesus in whom we place our trust that we indeed can be saved. And this laying down of Jesus, we don't just look ahead to it in Holy Week. But we face it and we celebrate it and we are grateful for it every single time we come to this table. Every single week we confront the laying down of Jesus. Every single week we come to this table where we remember the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. And so I say to you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And let's pray together and listen. Listen for the echoes of this Palm Sunday refrain. Even in the heavenly realms. So we pray, God, it is right and it's a good and it's a joyful thing at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, for you are the creator of heaven and earth. And so we join our voices with angels and with archangels, with the entire company of heaven, 
This entire company who forever surrounds your throne, singing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, God. And send your spirit, we pray, on these elements and on your people that all might be made into your image and all might be used for your glory. Unite us, Father. Feed us, sustain us. And amen. One of the other stories that gets told today is the story of the Last Supper and how Jesus, on the, the night that he was betrayed, he was with his disciples and he, and he took bread and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you, so take it and eat it. And then in a similar way, he took the cup and he blessed it and he gave it to them and he said, this this is the sign of the new promise, the new covenant I am making with all people sealed in my blood. So take it and drink it. And whenever we eat and we drink this meal, we tell the story yet again, the story of God's goodness the story of God's faithfulness, the story of God's willingness to save us. A story that we try to retell with these simple little phrases, packed with truth, winsome and easy to remember. And so we recite them together with one voice, that Christ has died, and Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so over these next couple of minutes, we want to invite you to, to eat. There are allergen-free uh, elements at these four tables. There'll be uh, uh, people here to serve you if you'd like to receive that way. We're going to sing. We want to invite you if you want to pray. If there are more things that need to be named, there'll be people along this wall and back over in this corner over, over here who would be, love to be present with you. And so let's enter together. And to remember that God is good and that God's love endures forever and that Jesus willingly laid everything down that we might be one. So friends, come and receive who you are, the body of Christ.